Hello and welcome to The Planet Today, where we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy. It's Friday, September 22nd, 2023. I'm your host, Matt Norton, here by myself today because we're about to air my interview with Rod Matthews. Before we get into things, here's a quick note from one of our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by KitCaster. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. How do funded startup founders attract prospects and talent? Podcast interviews. How do entrepreneurs with exits find new deals? Podcast interviews. How do C-suite execs differentiate in crowded markets? Podcast interviews. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. Click the link in the show notes for a special offer. Celebrate good conversation. Today on TPT, we are joined by the co-founder and CEO of Brevian Energy, Rod Matthews. Rod is an experienced business technology consultant and microgrid solution provider with a background in aligning energy and technology initiatives with core business objectives. He's passionate about slowing down the impacts of climate change and believes the deployment of microgrids is part of that solution. He's currently on a mission to educate business owners in manufacturing, technology, energy, sustainability, and real estate developers who are considering how and when to add microgrids or other renewable energy infrastructure to their projects. Rod Matthews, welcome to the planet today. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm feel honored to be here today. We are very thrilled to talk to a fellow member of the Matthew community. So uh, hey, no you know, doubt. a little different than my name, but... <laughs> hey, well, we're, we're still we're, we're in there somewhere. We may be third cousin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I want to take this from the top and ask you what first got you interested in sustainability or environmentalism as a whole? Well, as a whole, I've always, you know, had a, a passion for conservation in general. Um, but I guess, you know, as I became an adult, I became more aware of what was happening as far as global warming or climate change. Uh, we don't want to use the global warming thing, but really climate change and the impact that it had on us. Um, I remember watching a documentary by uh, then Vice President Al Gore and the work that he was doing, and you know, seeing the sea levels rise and seeing uh, icebergs melting in you know the Arctic. Um, you know, it was kind of a wake-up call for me. Uh, I had always been in technology in general, uh, starting doing networking. I worked with some data centers, really helping them get uh, uh, you know better grip on their carbon footprint, trying to reduce that, and then trying to reduce their energy usage is when I really got introduced to microgrids in general. Mm. Um, as soon as I got introduced to those, I mean, like a light bulb went off for me. Um, I thought that was the way that we need to go as a whole, uh, as a country, as a nation, and you know, frankly, as uh, as a society in general. Instead of doing all of this, um, you know, long distance transmission and distribution, we need to be looking at generating power locally. That's what really got me to be an evangelist for microgrids. 
So I, I think that kind of perfectly segues into what I was going to ask you about next. Um, what led you to founding Brevian Energy and what's the high level overview of what your team is, is doing there? Um, again, that, that passion and really opportunity uh, that we saw. We saw an opportunity to uh, start to decentralize our grid. Um, I'm in San Diego and, you know, our, I won't even name our utility company, but our local utility company here, we have the highest electricity rates in all of America, including Alaska and, and Hawaii, right? So define, you know, I'm a small business owner uh, starting out. I mean, I've always been a serial entrepreneur, and I know one of the biggest expenses for any company, especially a startup company or a manufacturer or something like that, is their electricity cost, so they cost the power. And so if we can help save people money in that, bring them more resilient power that doesn't you know, have a tendency to go down, and it's more responsible where it's not emitting all those greenhouse gases. If we can put that trifecta in place for these uh, small and medium-sized business owners, we can spread growth in our country. So that is really a passion. So I, I think something that we should do just to, you know, maybe for people who aren't aware or have heard the term microgrid but aren't quite sure what it is, what would you define as a microgrid and how is that different than the traditional energy grid that people are probably thinking of? Well, a microgrid is really a smaller version of the, uh, the grid that people are really used to. There are generation assets. You know, we're used to on the larger energy grid, we're used to these either coal-fired plants or, um, you know, some nuclear plants that are online that are generating, you know, these mass quantities of electricity. And we use all of these uh, distribution lines and, uh, you know, transmission lines to get the power to the people. In a microgrid, you still have generation assets, like primarily you look at solar. Uh, there are things like hydrogen fuel cells. There are geothermal things that can turn a turbine, essentially, to generate electricity. And uh, from that point, you have a, uh, a local distribution center where it's hyper-local, where you're, you're generating it on your roof and you're using that power right there in your home instead of it being generated a thousand miles away. And transported to. So the thing that I always found interesting with microgrids and just to kind of touch on what you were bringing up there is just response time and outages. You know, if, if we can bring everything to a more local level, we aren't as impacted by storms further away. And, and when Absolutely. we are impacted by outages, you know, it's just a much smaller radius that is impacted. So it's a lot easier for the utility or whoever is that microgrid operator to come in and, and get everything back up and running. Exactly. That's that decentralization like we talked about. Yeah. Even from a security standpoint, um, you know, you have the, you know, if you could, you could take out a whole city uh, by taking out a couple uh, substations, right? But if you had that hyper local uh, microgrids in place, taking that, you wouldn't have one centralized place to be able to disturb services for so many people. So, I guess that's a, another really good segue into what I was going to ask next as well. You know, in talking about microgrids and how they're a solution to climate change, how can they also be smart for business owners? I, I think a lot of times people get caught up with you're choosing the environmentally friendly side of things or the smart business side. And this is another one of those topics where it's, it's both. <laughs> Again, here in California, you know, 
we're all, I personally have a mission to try to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. But I know there are some people who really don't care about that. Mm-hmm. But they do want to save money. So we have the ability to save them at least a third of what they're spending right now if they're getting their power off the, the local grid. That um, comes in the way of there's a time of use here in San Diego uh, with our local utility company, meaning there we have three tiers of, of charges you can you can occur. You can there is uh, super off peak time, which is you know 9 p.m. to like 6:59 a.m. Mm-hmm. Then there's uh, off peak, which is 7 a.m. to 3:59 p.m. And then there is peak time, which is 4 p.m. to 9 o'clock p.m. During that peak time, when everybody's home, when everybody's washing dishes and cooking and all the lights are on and watching TV, mm-hmm. you can be paying in excess here of 55 to 60 cents per kilowatt hour during that time. Jeez. So we have the ability to shift the load, particularly, you know, we, number one, we only do commercial and in, in industrial customers. Mm-hmm. So we don't really do residential. Uh, we could do like a neighborhood, but not an individual house, right? But um, so for our co- commercial and industrial customers, if you you're working more than two shifts, uh, you know, you, your business doesn't close till 10 p.m. You're running and yeah. operating during those peak times. So we have the ability to, when the solar, uh, you know, we incorporate solar. But when the solar stops producing at an optimum level that can uh, meet the demands, the electricity demands of the company, we can then shift the load to some advanced battery storage. Every day we can cycle that up. So you don't have to pull from the grid at all. So not only does that save you money in the time of youth charges, but when you are pulling your peak load, there is what's called a demand charge. So not only are you charged for the energy that you consume, but you are charged for the energy that is made available. So we can almost uh, significantly reduce or almost eliminate that demand charge by having you pull your greatest load directly from your generating resource or from your battery storage. So we can save money plus by being able to do that, by shifting the load, uh, you can get that extra resilience. Hmm. So if there's an outage, locally most of the time you won't even know about it because you're already shifting your load and you're 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 consuming electricity that you're generating or store either way so i'm glad you brought up solar before i took my my current job i was working in solar for a couple years and one of the the main things that was kind of my takeaway i was one of their project managers is with solar it it just it makes sense if you want to save money it makes sense if you care about reducing carbon emissions Either way, you're going to end up at that same point where adding solar energy to your rooftop or to your home, that's going to be a good decision for you. And it seems like with microgrids, it's the same thing, whether you're coming into it from a monetary standpoint or you care about your emissions, either way, you're going to be intersecting at microgrids. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, we believe that solar alone just doesn't cut it uh, because I have a firm belief that people actually need power Mm -hmm. at night. So uh, by 
uh, storing that energy, that, that excess energy that you produce uh, into some advanced battery systems and being able to shift that load, uh, that really gives you uh, a more comprehensive solution than just solar by itself. So I'd like to hear more about how Brevian kind of works together with all pieces of that puzzle there as far as microgrids, uh, deploying more renewables, in this case you mentioned solar, but if you're working with any other types of, of renewables and that advanced battery uh, energy storage, how, how does your team kind of work that all together? Well, we have a saying, uh, it's a real saying in the microgrid industry that if you've seen one microgrid, you've seen one microgrid, right? Because everyone is different. Uh, it's based on a lot of different things, based on number one, the power requirements of the customer. It's based on the amount of space available to build something locally. Um, it, um, you know, some environmental regulations, uh, you know, can dictate that. Uh, mission criticality uh, of the nature of the business can really dictate that. So there are a lot of different things that go into the design of a microgrid, which is why it's really important for us to, uh, number one, if it's an existing location, uh, we pull information on their usage for the past year to really understand, you know, their cyclical nature of energy usage so we can design a system that can meet their demands during their cycles. Um, then we kind of understand, you know, what their mission criticality is. If they had, you know, a significant outage, how long uh, could they go and be sustained without any other power available to them? They, except for what they generate. So we do an analysis of that. And with that, we come back, uh, you know, depending on what they need, it could be solar, it could be batteries in most cases, uh, it could be hydrogen fuel cells to give more baseload power. Uh, if they're close to a river, uh, it could be hydro. Uh, so there are a lot of different things and we take what's available uh, to come up with an op optimum solution for a specific use case. Gotcha. That sounds like that's got to be such an interesting, you know, interesting problem to solve where every single microgrid you're going to be working on, like you said, is different. So I'm sure the due diligence stage is probably pretty. I, I, I think that would be fun. I'm sure some people might find it a little frustrating, but it seems cool. It is. I mean, you know, like, you know, we're. We're a compatible nerd. Yeah. <laughs> so we get up on things like that. <laughs> we nerd out on things like that. Yeah. You know, for your average person, they could care less, but they couldn't care less. But for us, you know, I get excited personally uh, for an opportunity to create a brand new solution every time. I see it as an opportunity to do something, you know, new, fresh every time. You know, I'd get bored doing the same thing. Every yeah. Time. It, it kind of it reminds me of just a puzzle where you have unlimited pieces and you just need to figure out which pieces fit together to give you the best looking puzzle here. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we feel good that we've done something good for that client. We've done something good for our company. We have a fiduciary responsibility to make money. And we've done something good for the environment. So it's a win, win, win in all. Yeah, checks off all those boxes. So when you're talking with business owners and trying to encourage them to implement microgrids locally, what are some of the, the questions that you run into often? And, and what are maybe some misconceptions about microgrids that people tend to have? I'd probably say the biggest and first question we get is, what is a microgrid? <laughs> <laughs> so we, we look at this really as an education campaign. 
because once we really kind of educate our uh, you know targeted customers on you know what a microgrid is and how they can benefit from it, it's really a no-brainer at that point. You know, in particular with some of the legislation that just got recently passed with the mm-hmm. infrastructure bill and the Inflation Reduction Act, it has really poured fuel on the fire of rolling out these services. So, you know, as more and more companies become, you know, aware of how they can take advantage of, you know, some of these incentives, uh, some of the tax credits, uh, some of the, you know, the ability to transfer tax credits. Uh, so they really made it a lot easier to get some of these projects financed and off the ground. Unfortunately, one of the, the the biggest drawbacks we're having with this is there is such a big demand now until some of the interconnect uh, queues mm-hmm. uh, with the local investor-owned utilities have grown to like in excess of three to four years. You may have to wait to get your project connected to the grid. Yeah, interconnection was something when I was working in solar, we always ran into where, you know, we have these deadlines we're looking to hit and we were like, all right, we have many months before uh, we're ready for interconnection, but we need to request it now and just let them know, like, put us on your queue. We will be ready by this date. Um, interconnection delays are a tough one right now. And unfortunately, I think the U.S. as a whole, the electric grid, it, it's not fully ready for this renewable energy uh, transition. We're going to need a lot more capacity. So it's it's a really interesting challenge to solve. Yeah, those regional transmission, you know, between regions, that transmission is really, uh, that's going to be really key and essential. But if we focus everything hyper-local, I mean, that won't even be an issue. Yeah, I think I think it was earlier this week uh, that I was reading something, the New York Times put out this piece on the the electrical grid in the U.S., and they were talking about how much renewable energy capacity we need to reach 100%, um, what our current capacity looks like, and how transmission is kind of the big roadblock that we're running into. And one of the things that the article mentioned, it was a story map, uh, so you could scroll through it and see just different graphics of what smaller grids could look like and how that could influence what kind of energy we need and where it comes from. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's a really interesting time to be looking into really anything in the environmental field. But I think especially in the renewable energy space, there's just so much going on so quickly that, you know, you, you said before that no two microgrids are the same. And I think the same microgrid at a different point in time is probably going to look vastly different if you were to start, I guess, 2021 before the Inflation Reduction Act passed compared yes. to now, you probably have so many different avenues that have been opened up. Oh, it, it I mean, it, it is uh, immeasurable the, the amount of opportunities that have been created with those in, with the Inflation Reduction Act and the infrastructure bill. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you have the opportunity now to get up to 60 to 70% of your project paid for with tax credits and incentives. And there are all kinds of uh, grants that are available depending on what you're doing. Um, so, you know, depending on where you're located, you're in the energy community, you're in the LMI community, uh, you can get additional benefits. Uh, and one of the great things I like about it is they have tied a workforce component to this. So, you know, particularly these underserved communities, um, you know, you don't have just developers coming in and, you know, building it and leave. They have an obligation mm-hmm. now to you know, employ 
train a certain amount of people from that community that does community service. Gotcha, gotcha. So I guess my next question, this might be a difficult one to answer. This might be a big question, but what is next for you and for Brevian? We just see, you know, expansion in what we're doing. We see so many opportunities, you know, across the uh, country, number one, but in emerging markets, you know, like uh, Africa and you know, Central America, mm. they have a lot of emerging markets over there that they, they didn't have the benefit of having a well you know, planned and organized grid across their country. So they have an opportunity to start fresh in a lot of cases. So what, what, what was a negative now can be turned into a positive. It's much easier to deploy those services uh, in areas that you can just start with a clean canvas in most cases and try to retrofit. Yeah. Yeah. I know the, the term leapfrogging is usually used for, uh, for stuff like that, where, you know, certain countries that couldn't afford to have a good telephone network when house phones were popular, mm -hmm. they all have cell phones now because you don't really need a house phone as much. Everybody. Yeah. Everybody. So yeah. They leapfrogged yeah. us in that technology. Yeah. yeah it's the, the one downside to being a pioneer, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, no doubt. Uh, the bleeding edge. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I, um, I I live in New York City, and I absolutely love public transit. It's part of the reason I wanted to live in a city. But our subway system here was one of the first major subway systems in the world. So, yeah. of course, it's not going to be as efficient or as great as some of the ones that learned from what we did well learned from our mistakes and right. decided to fix those mistakes with that blank canvas that they have, like you had mentioned. You know, I live on the West Coast and, you know, there's really no such thing as real mass transit here. You know, mm -hmm. they have buses that run and trains that run, but they're not nearly as reliable or running as on time as on the East Coast. And a lot of people don't rely on mass transit like they do there. I'm always impressed. I was just in New York last week, as a matter of fact. Oh, really? Yeah, so <laughs> got a chance to jump on the subway and, and, and tool around. Here in San Diego, where we are, uh, everything is uh, automobile. So I do have one last question about microgrids, and this is maybe more about the business side and, and the psychology of people. But how do you handle a potential customer, potential client, where they recognize a microgrid would be great for them? They see the benefits, but people are resistant to change sometimes. And they say, you know, this sounds great. Not right now. You know, um, it's funny you say that because I've had that happen on more than one occasion. I don't get it, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, you know, I, I liken it like if you go to the doctor, the doctor says, hey, you know, you smoke cigarettes. Uh, it's really detrimental to your health. Um, I don't think you should smoke cigarettes. You know you shouldn't smoke cigarettes anymore. You're like, yeah, I know I smoke cigarettes. I don't know if cigarettes is doing bad for me, but I just want to keep smoking cigarettes. Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, I can tell you, this is really going to be advantageous to your business. It's going to help you save money. It's going to put you in a better position for resiliency. You can help add to the cause of eliminating greenhouse gases. But you're just used to doing what you do, and you just want to keep doing it that way. And some people are like that. Yeah. And, hey, I can't knock them. You know, they do what they do. And, you know, we just find uh, someone else that we can help uh, benefit by putting on the microgrid and, you know, but perhaps they'll come on in a later time. You know, most of those people, they usually call like six months later. Like, you know what? I, yeah. My buddy did this now. I, you know, I can go with a microgrid now that I've seen somebody with one. 
Yeah, it reminds me of the old phrase, uh, you could lead the horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Make it drink. You're absolutely right. <laughs> exactly. And, but in most cases, though, um, you know, quite honestly, if we could come to you and say, hey, listen, I can save you a third of what you're spending right now without even looking at your bill. I can save you a third. Uh, I can kind of guarantee mm-hmm. you that uh, and give you a more resilient, uh, higher level of service. And, you know, you can even help contribute to reducing greenhouse gas emissions. You know, why would you say no to that? Yeah. What's the downside? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what I would get. Yeah. So in most cases, we're like, oh, okay. In most cases, you can really hate me. You don't like the way I look or anything. But if you say I can save you a third off your <laughs> bill and you're spending $50,000 a month, then I'm your best friend. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, Rod, this was awesome. I really appreciate your time. I think this was a really interesting topic for me and I'm excited for our listeners to hear it. If people want to keep up with you, keep up with your work or keep up with Brevian Energy, where are the best places to do that? Well, you can go to our website, uh, which is brevianenergy.com, B-R-E-B as in Victor, I-A-N, energy.com. You can reach out to us, our, our sales team at sales at BrevianEnergy.com. Um, you know, you can reach me on LinkedIn, Rod Matthews. I do a lot of work on LinkedIn. Um, you know, it'd be great to transact with people. I'm, I'm, I'm always posting stuff, always interacting with other people who are doing things because, you know, we have a real passion for doing this. And I love to uh, see people get involved in this quest to help reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Absolutely. And if you're listening, as always, we will link those in the show notes. So go swipe up. Go connect with Rod on LinkedIn. Check out brevianenergy.com. It's one click away, so you really have no excuse not to. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you again. So we end every interview with three fun rapid-fire questions. Ready? All right. Ready. I'm ready. Let's go. Number one, what's your favorite animal? My favorite animal is a fish because I don't have to do much with it. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Number two, what is something that you do to be more sustainable in your own life? I use every drop of anything that I have. You know, if I have the deodorant, I'm the guy who's, who's reading my finger around a little ridge there to get the last little piece of deodorant out so I can make sure I use every bit of it before I throw it away. I love that. I love that. <laughs> and last one, what is one topic you think my listeners should be more aware of after hearing from you today? I think they should be more aware of rising sea levels and what that means to us as a whole, when, you know, the majority of our population lives, you know, within 50 miles of the sea. So rising sea levels, so climate change and rising sea levels. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's a huge one. All right. Thank you again, Rod. I, like I said, I really appreciate this and and really love getting to know you a little bit better. I'm excited for our listeners to uh, hopefully learn a lot as well. No doubt. It's my pleasure. Anybody reach out. I'm always accessible. Thank you. And that will do it for today's episode of TPT. We'll be back on Friday for another episode. Thank you again to Rod for his time today. Go check out our socials at Planet Today Pod for more TPT until the next episode. And for the Planet Today, I am Matt Norton. See you on Friday.